Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, August 26th, 2022, the 583rd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You'll be supporting me and the work I do and this show as it expands. And I cannot express my gratitude for everyone who is doing that. If you can't do it or you don't want to do it, you get the show and the writing for free a couple days later. And if you can or you are, I will do everything I can to make that worth it. So yesterday we were talking about the blame game and more specifically blame shifting. We talked about what looks like the early effort to begin shifting the blame for the disaster that is the experimental gene therapy that they continue to call a vaccine that doesn't work. It's not very safe. It's not very effective. It doesn't prevent transmission, infection, serious illness or death. In fact, it causes all of those. And it seems like the 
medical establishment and the mainstream media and everyone who is part of the global communist order is going to attempt to shift all the responsibility for that onto Donald Trump. They're going to say that he pressured all of the different agencies and he didn't properly trust the science. He didn't give the scientists enough time to put out their magic potion. And because he hurried them along, the magic potion didn't work and, in fact, is very deadly and extraordinarily harmful and destroys people's immune systems. And, you know, it causes miscarriages and reduced sperm counts. But who needs all those extra kids when the world is already overpopulated? That's what they tell us. But it's all Donald Trump's fault. You see, Donald Trump just hurried the scientists up. If they had gotten all of this data, they never would have put out this magic potion that they forced on people and sold nonstop around the clock all the time on television and in real life. Just billboards everywhere, restrictions on what you can do. They made all those decisions and they sold it again and again and again and again as the right thing. In fact, if you didn't do it, you were immoral. You were evil. You were killing someone's grandmother. But now it's Donald Trump's fault because they can't avoid any longer the fact that the vaccine is not safe and effective. And it's the opposite of that. It's totally unsafe and it doesn't provide any benefit whatsoever. That's Donald Trump's fault. And I'm happy for them to try this. It seems like even Alex Jones is trying to help them in their efforts to blame this on Trump. Or maybe he thinks he's just calling out Trump. And hey, maybe Donald Trump will make a statement and it'll be very interesting to see what he says about his decision-making process in getting the vaccine out with Operation Warp Speed. But the reason that I like them trying this is because they have to give up on one of their other favorite false narratives. And that's that Trump supporters are basically cult members. Donald Trump according to them, was responsible for getting the vaccine out and then making everyone take it, which he obviously wasn't. But go ahead and do that. Who are the people that they got the angriest with for not taking the vaccine? Well, that's Trump supporters. So if Trump wanted us all to do it and we do everything he says, why didn't we take the vaccine? Why were we instead listening to the actual science about the vaccine? Why were we the ones listening to the actual science about COVID? Why were we the ones that understood the vaccine wasn't necessary at all? A, because COVID's simply not that deadly and no one's scared of it. And B, because there were more than adequate treatments available so taking an experimental vaccine for something that's not that deadly and can be treated is pretty dumb. How did we do that while also obeying whatever our cult leader says and thinking that his word is perfect at all times? We just do whatever we're told by Donald Trump. It's nothing like the communists who do whatever the television tells them to do. That's not cultish at all. It's also strange that we as cult members are trying to, in the nicest way possible, convince people who have led a life of evil for the last two and a half years and truthfully much longer 
to stop doing what they're doing and seek some forgiveness or maybe figure out a way to make it up to the world and to society while they are trying to destroy us. They're trying to make it so we can't have jobs. They're trying to make it so kids can't go to school unless they're injected with the experimental gene therapy they already know doesn't work and is harmful. They're censoring us. They're trying to take us off payment platforms. They're trying to keep us from participating in the economy. And of course, they're trying to make it so that our votes don't count at all. But sure, we're in the cult. But if you're going to keep saying it, you're really going to have to figure out how we could be in the cult and also unvaxxed. But still, Donald Trump is the one who made everyone take the experimental gene therapy. Rishi Sunak, the member of parliament in the UK who is in the running to become the next prime minister, assuming that Boris Johnson actually does relinquish that position. He has only resigned from the party leadership. He has not yet left the prime minister position, and that is going to be a decision ultimately made by the queen and not by voters. But he is trying to shed himself of the responsibility for the COVID lockdowns. He makes the case that all along he knew that there could be problems. And he brought up the fact that there could be problems in his little circle at the very top of the decision making tree. Not all the way at the top, but pretty close. And because he's taking responsibility, it means it's no longer his fault. So. He couldn't have done any more. He did what he could. But in all those meetings, whenever he brought up this stuff that disputes the central narrative, he would be made to feel incredibly uncomfortable. And so rather than taking this information to the people and resigning his position and leading a resistance to what will be seen throughout history. As one of the greatest atrocities ever committed against humanity, he silenced himself and went along with trusting the experts. He doesn't seem to realize that the people already had all of this information and it was his government that was suppressing that information and oppressing those very people. But he wants your forgiveness. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. Remember that great commercial for racism that a bunch of actors made in the whole George Floyd saga, that embarrassing, shameful disgrace. Rishi Sunak is just doing the beta male politician version of that. And we have Fauci resigning. You can expect that Fauci is going to shift blame for any problems to other people, whether it's the president, Donald Trump or the fake president, Joe Biden, and his administration. What was Joe Biden's administration pushing Anthony Fauci to do? He's not going to blame the pharma companies, of course, because that's him. He's not going to blame himself or his employers. He'll blame the CDC or the FDA. The process broke down in multiple ways. That's what they'll all say. They'll shift blame around to each other, knowing that 
None of them are going to get upset at the other ones. It's kind of a coordinated blame shifting. And at that point, they'll all have some level of plausible deniability in terms of the public perception. People aren't really going to go that hard after any one of those pieces now that they know it's 10 or 12 different pieces that all fell apart together. And it's going to be very hard for them to want to punish Fauci after buying pillows with Fauci's face on them. So they'll shift blame and it'll all go away. And there should now be enough examples of this happening, and I'm sure we'll see more in the days ahead, that you can detect a pattern. And so what is that pattern for? What is the effort here? Well, it's obviously to cover their own asses. And why would they need to do that? Well, because the whole thing's falling apart. And this is a perfect example of that. We're talking about a massive criminal enterprise, many different parts in all sorts of different verticals, but ultimately all connected and all criminal. And so they'll each try to protect themselves to the extent possible while the whole thing collapses. Again, none of these people are where they are based on their principles. They get where they are based on corruption and compromise, which means They're liars who will take advantage of other people when it benefits them. And they will certainly do that when they are under threat of a system-wide collapse that they know could come for them. They'll want to shift the blame elsewhere. And that brings me to an incredible example of blame shifting that we were simply gifted yesterday by Joe Rogan and Mark Zuckerberg. And so I want to play that and then we'll get into some more of the Zuckerberg interview stuff after. How do you guys handle things when they're a a big news item that's controversial? Like there was a lot of attention on Twitter during the election because of the Hunter Biden laptop story. The New York Post. Yeah. So you guys censored that as well. So we took a different path than Twitter. Um, I mean, basically the background here is the FBI, I think, basically came to us, uh, some, some folks on our team, and was like, hey, um, just so you know, like, you should be on high alert. There was the, we, we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of, of, um, uh, of, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. So our protocol is different from Twitter's. What Twitter did is they said, you can't share this at all. Um, we didn't do that. What, what we do is we have, um, if something is reported to us as potentially um, misinformation, important misinformation, we, we also have this third-party fact-checking program because we don't want to be deciding what's true and false. They're literally partnered with the fact-check organizations so that Facebook meta can have plausible deniability about their level of censorship. They're saying, no, it wasn't us. The fact checkers said it was disinformation. Well, then the fact checkers were also wrong. So what is your responsibility there? Important misinformation. And two years later, you're still relying on those same fact checkers to censor American citizens political speech. Okay, robot. And for the I think it was five or seven days when it was basically being um, being determined whether it was false. Um, 
the distribution on Facebook was decreased, but people were still allowed to share it. So you could still share it. You could still consume it. So when um, you say the distribution is decreased, in, it, it got shared. It, how does that work? It basically the ranking in newsfeed was a little bit less. So fewer people saw it than would have otherwise. So it definitely by what percentage? I, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's 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 meaningful. But I mean, but basically, a um, a lot of people are still able to share it. Just to be clear, that's shadow banning. That's one of the things they used to say they didn't do. They're saying that people were still allowed to share it. Therefore, that means that Facebook wasn't censoring it. They just make sure other people can't see it, which has the exact same effect as censorship, but they don't have to take the blame for it. Plus, they have a whole team of people that makes these decisions and they listen to the fact checkers. Do the social media companies also have third party content moderators so they can shift the blame for that as well? Why, yes, they do. We got a lot of complaints that that was the case. They got a lot of complaints that you could still share the information about Hunter Biden's laptop. So because they didn't please everybody, they didn't censor as much as people wanted them to censor. They're actually on the side of free speech. Just want to make sure you understand where Zuckerberg's head is at. Um, you know, obviously, this is a hyper political issue. So depending on what side of the political spectrum, you either think we didn't censor it enough or censored it way too much. But right. but we weren't sort of as black and white about it as, as Twitter. We just kind of thought, hey, look, if, if the FBI, which you know, I still view as a legitimate institution in this country, it's like very professional law enforcement. They come to us and tell us that we need to be on guard about something then I want to take that seriously. Did they specifically say you need to be on guard about that story? I, I No, I, I don't remember if it was that specifically, but it was it basically fit the pattern. Did the FBI warn him about a Hunter Biden related Russian disinformation story? He answers, no, I don't know. But it fit the pattern. That was what they were generally warned about. And because he still views the FBI as a very serious, very professional law enforcement organization, he knew he should take their warning very seriously and do what they wanted him to do, even if it wasn't quite right. It's still their fault. They gave this warning before the election. The Russians, those dastardly Russians are going to try some disinformation. They might try to throw a fastball right past you when you were expecting the change up. And then those dastardly Russians are going to steal another election on behalf of Donald Trump. Now, of course, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't know whether or not that's true. But because Mark Zuckerberg also spent hundreds of millions of dollars to buy the 2020 election in locations all across the country. Something about the FBI warning him about this Russian disinformation made him know, oh, that's going to be true. And we can't have something like that affecting the election outcome. Please help us censor it. Now, this is all being treated like breaking news, like some massive revelation by Mark Zuckerberg, as if he's blowing the whistle on himself like Rishi Sunak did yesterday. But this isn't new information. We've known for a long time that the FBI went and briefed the big tech companies that disinformation efforts would be in the offing. 
And so his little robot ears were perked up and he was listening for any signals of Russians. And he just knew that when that laptop dropped and those 51 former intelligence officials wrote a letter that said this has all the markings of a Russian disinformation campaign, though we can't prove it. That's actually what they did say in the letter, that they couldn't prove it. Mark Zuckerberg knew that that was all the proof he needed. But it wasn't black and white. It wasn't censored like Twitter. We did it with fact checkers and shadow banning. And we have an oversight board that makes sure that we make all of the right decisions all the time, or at least lets us know a few months later that we made a wrong one. Now, Zuckerberg is clearly doing this to get ahead of a story. And this is being covered as a revelation about election rigging, that the FBI was involved in rigging the election. Now, that's fine because that's true. But let's not go overboard on what this is, okay? It's not new information. This is a rerun. It's a very good and very effective rerun, and I'm not mad that we're seeing it again, so don't get me wrong. But this is like one tiny slice of the election fraud apparatus that was put in place for 2020. This is only one tiny slice of Mark Zuckerberg's personal role in the election theft of 2020. So we can't just go around ignoring the rest of it based on the manipulation with the Hunter Biden laptop. There was a poll that came out the other day from TIPP Insights that says eight out of 10 Americans believe Donald Trump would have been elected president if the public knew what they know now about the Hunter Biden laptop. So even despite the election cheating, it's obvious that the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story had a big effect on how Americans view the election of 2020. But that 80% is actually a lot bigger than that. If people are willing to admit that Donald Trump would still be president now, if not for the suppression of a real story that they all now understand matters a great deal, all of those 80% of people have a pretty good idea of who did that to the country and why. This is another sign that this pretend blue wave that's coming back in response to the red wave that is actually building is nothing more than narrative nonsense. The country knows what happened, at least most of the country. We may not be all the way there. I'd like to get to 80, 85, 90% when it comes to election fraud, when it comes to the vaccines and COVID and things like human trafficking and some other stuff. But we're getting most of the way there on most of it. And by the way, I said this last week and I'll say it again, and I'll probably keep saying it until the election. But if Joe Biden is doing so well, how come all the Democrat politicians and candidates who are campaigning and trying to win and keep their very real Democrat majority in the November midterms, how come they're not campaigning with Joe Biden? Where are all of the events? Where are all of the rallies? They staged a Joe Biden rally yesterday, and I do mean staged, where a person in the audience stood up and began screaming that Joe Biden stole the election. And I think he also got in, you're a pedophile too. 
And Joe Biden played his magnanimous part, just like his buddy Barack used to do. And he put his hand up and said, no, no, let them stay. Let's hear them out. And of course, he says this while the person is being dragged out. You know, you just got to say it a couple of times. So you look like you don't want the person gone while the person is being dragged out. And then Joe Biden had his perfect response after that. This kind of ignorance and blah, blah, blah. And they bust in loads of supporters. There must have been 200 or 250 people there. And they were all screaming and booing. They were all supporting the fake president. Good, high quality communists as they are. They were probably hired by a movie extra agency and paid minimum wage for their hours. But they did their jobs and they all had a perfect event. But where are the rest of Joe Biden's rallies? Is he going to go down to Arizona and attend a rally and speak at a rally for Katie Hobbs, who's trying to beat Carrie Lake for the Arizona governorship? I doubt it. Katie Hobbs isn't even going to debate Carrie Lake. Is Joe Biden going to go to Western Pennsylvania and get up on a stage with real life Tolkien orc Kevin Fetterman? Doubt it. Has old Scranton Joe's shine worn off in Western Pennsylvania? Is he going to go campaign with Gretchen Whitmer? Where is Joe Biden on the campaign trail? If Joe Biden was a popular president or even a passably accepted president, he would be out there every day. This election is extremely important, isn't it? Don't they need all hands on deck? to make sure that the ultra MAGA folks don't take over the country again and destroy everything. But nope, they're not campaigning. They're not debating. Joe Biden will be in his basement at home in Delaware. He came back to Washington on Wednesday and is heading back to Delaware today after his big rally speech yesterday. That is for real the fake president's schedule. Why isn't he out there? And of course, we're told Donald Trump is very, very unpopular, but Donald Trump's probably going to have rallies all around the country, probably a few a week as we get closer to the election. And he's going to have tens of thousands of real American citizens at each and every one. And I can pretty much guarantee they're all going to be having a hell of a good time and they're not going to need to be bussed in to attend. They're going to attend because they want to attend. So the Hunter Biden laptop and the suppression of that story alone could have changed the outcome. 80% of the people now believe that Donald Trump would be president if everyone had known about the laptop. But everyone does know about the laptop now. And those 80% of people are going to go to the polls this fall and they're going to vote to empower that fake president. They're going to go vote to empower people who think that Joe Biden is a legitimate president, a good president, the people who have been supporting him for the entire time he's been fake president. How is that going to happen? Will real people make that decision? I don't think they will. Let's get back to Zuckerberg. There are a couple of types of issue of issues, and I think misinformation is is probably the biggest one where there is actually just not widespread agreement at all about how to handle it. Um, I think that a large percent of the population, the vast majority, says that they don't want to see misinformation, 
but then people disagree on what misinformation is, right? So, yeah. um, so people don't want to see what n- n- people don't want to see what they think is misinformation. But, but honestly, even more than that, they they don't want other people to be to be kind of to see what they think is misinformation. So yeah. I know that's so that's pretty difficult because then different people have different views, and I think that there, I mean, maybe you could have a policy like what Jack was talking about for, for that type of content. I mean, I don't think you're going to have a wild West version of social media where you're just allowing terrorism free for all. I mean, that's crazy. They have, right? The Taliban is on Twitter, which is really wild. Cause Donald Trump isn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tougher. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not super deep on Twitter's policies. Yeah. So, so tough for me to comment on that, but well, Twitter has pornography. It's kind of funny how he describes the two sides of the debate as if, each side wants to censor what they consider misinformation that the other side is putting out. I have never, not once, called for any censorship of the communists. In fact, I feature a lot of the stuff that communists produce on this show so that you can know what the other side is, which is why I am consistently bothered by people who feel the urge to like brag to me that they don't follow the mainstream media or they don't watch anything from the mainstream media as if your precious ears just can't take it. Well, that means you're missing out on what the other side is being taught to think. And that's kind of important if you're trying to convince them that they might be wrong or just in general relate to them in any way. It is actually good to know what the other side thinks, even if it hurts your precious ears. Or the other strange brag, I don't have time to read that. Well, okay, choose your priorities. I'm not telling everyone to do the same thing, but don't act like it's the information's fault that you don't want to take it in. Either way, I have absolutely no interest in censoring anything from the other side. The courts have a history of First Amendment law that we can abide by in making these decisions. The law can be changed if people want it changed and they want to put pressure on lawmakers to change it. There are actual processes we can go through as a constitutional republic and as a society to determine where those boundaries are. We don't need for our masters at Facebook or Twitter and whoever they're ultimately answering to, to decide what we're allowed to say and what we're not allowed to say. It doesn't matter if they can argue that they're basing it on some harm standard. Oh, this speech actually does hurt people. Well, how about this? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me or words. They're just not going to hurt me. I'm going to develop a thick enough skin and enough self-confidence to make my way through the world despite the presence of words I sometimes don't like. And I am not going to suggest that there's an entire area of conversation and information that other people aren't allowed to see. And that is what he is pointing to directly. That's what Zuckerberg is pointing to there. The users on the left, don't want what they consider misinformation to be seen by anyone else because they think everybody else is stupid. 
Everyone but them is going to see all that misinformation and they're immediately going to believe it because that's what stupid people do. You see, smart people, people like them, they can get through that misinformation and they'll just know, oh, that's misinformation. We won't pay attention, but we better not allow any of those stupid people to see it because they're going to believe it. And if they all believe it, well, they might come back and use it against us. And I'm not joking, by the way, this is what they actually think. They don't spend any time actually paying attention to anything or thinking about anything. They're trying to get back to dancing in TikTok videos and scanning through their likes on Instagram. They want to get back to their favorite reality show or to online shopping. They don't have time to go through all the information. And because everybody else is exactly like them or should try to be exactly like them, that means no one else has the time to know anything either. Therefore, for stupid people, misinformation can have a huge effect on them. And it's really scary. Just imagine what the results would be if everyone believed all the misinformation and they're all susceptible to it. Everyone but us is susceptible to all of the misinformation. But we are not. We know what's true and false because we know what comes from people like us. And people like us would never lie to people like us. But we need to censor to protect everyone else who's not like us. So the big story so far has been these couple of clips about the interference with the election in 2020 and the FBI's role in that. And it's good timing for this rerun with everything else the FBI is doing. The affidavit for the Trump raid was released today. It is almost completely redacted for anything that might actually explain what the FBI was trying to do. The stuff about the records and the archives, that's in there. But there's not a whole lot else in there. And of course, as you might imagine, Donald Trump has already come out and blasted these redactions. Donald Trump wants the full affidavit released unredacted. So you can see out of the two parties, the fake administration and the Trump side of things, which one wants the actual information out there to the public. And it's usually a pretty good gauge of who is in the right and who is in the wrong based on which party wants full transparency. And so we'll see how this develops, but you have to imagine that over the next few days or maybe couple of weeks, we're going to get the full affidavit or at least find out a great deal more of the substance. But in terms of the Zuckerberg interview, he actually spent a lot of time, especially in the first hour, talking about meta and the metaverse and virtual reality and augmented reality. And I want to share some of that because I don't want anyone to miss what these people are actually trying to do in terms of creating a fully false reality. This is something I've been talking about for a pretty long time, and I don't think anyone else is spending the amount of time on it that I am. But what they have done is open up an entirely false reality where the information environment contains only false things. And they've done this for a huge portion of society. Now, yes, they're still living their lives connected to the real world in 
many superficial ways, mostly based on their location. But the things that they think and feel are all products of information derived from a false reality prepared for them in a very true sense. I'm not saying this metaphorically. I'm saying that everything they know about a whole range of subjects is entirely false at this point. And it is totally incongruous with the real world. And it's also inconsistent and incoherent in itself. It doesn't all make sense together, even in the false reality. It's just conflicting information. They'll just present new information whenever it's needed. It doesn't matter if it's true or false in any way. It only matters if people in the false reality will accept it. And there's a lot of insight provided from that side of things by Zuckerberg in this interview. Communicate. And, you know, that's kind of how we get meaning in our life is interacting with other people. So it's like, all right, that's going to happen with VR. And sure enough, if you look at the top apps in VR now, um, the top few are basically social metaverse, hang out with your friends apps that are not centered around any specific game. Um, so that kind of hypothesis around, okay, VR is starting to add different use cases. It's going from games first, games are, are still growing and, and going to be huge to um, just kind of social, hang out with friends, be present. And we're getting all these other use cases that are that are kind of crazy and are happening sooner than I thought. So, you know, another big one is fitness, right? Just because, I mean, in, in a way, I mean, these are like the first physical computing platforms. Yeah. It's like you don't you don't like move around while you're on your computer. I guess you could a little bit on your phone, but it's sort of awkward because you're looking at the small screen. But like VR and eventually AR are really designed to be able to move around and do things and like interact with the world. And that's really important to me. I mean, it's like I, I just... Like, I hate sitting in front of a desk, right? It's like, I, I just feel like if I'm not, like, active, I'm, I'm like, wasting my day. Um, so, I don't know, there have been these awesome experiences. That basically, a couple of companies, um, you can kind of think about it like Peloton for VR, where, mm -hmm. you know, it's like Peloton, they sell you the bike or the treadmill, and then you buy the subscription and you get the, the, tr the classes. There's a couple of companies that basically do, you know, they do cardio, they do dancing, they do boxing. But instead of having to buy a bike, you just have your Quest headset. And once you have that, you buy a subscription to to these these companies um, and you can just take lessons um, and, and do different things and, and fitness. And it's it's um, I, I thought that was pretty wild. I thought that like in the long term, something like that would start to happen. But it happened way sooner than I thought, um, which was really cool. Doesn't that sound amazing? You'll join the metaverse and then the things you want to do, the activities you want to participate in. The places you want to go in the metaverse, well, those will be part of a subscription service. You'll use credits or something to pay for those experiences. They'll be premium experiences. And of course, you're not that rich right now, so you probably aren't going to have access to those premium experiences like wealthier people will. And to even have the normal experiences, the ones that you even like a little bit, or maybe the ones you just simply got addicted to and you don't even know why you like them. Well, you're going to have to spend all your credits just to get those. And so how are you going to get more credits? Because you're not really going to have a job there, right? You're basically existing to serve whatever keeps you inside the machine. You know, for a while, at least you'll need 
food from the outside world that'll get delivered to your place. You'll have your screen set up. Maybe you'll have a couch and a bed. Maybe you'll have a bathroom where you can wash or maybe it'll be a public bathroom. It's not really going to matter because you're going to spend most of your day inside the metaverse. So what is your job going to be? Will your job be in the metaverse too? And then what would they need to hire you to do? Certainly they don't need you to build something in the metaverse. I mean, I guess and unless you want to, like if you're allowed, but you're probably not going to be allowed. That sounds like kind of a, a premium experience being able to build something in this false reality. But your data will be very valuable and they'll have full and complete access to that. I mean, they'll even have all your biometrics. They get to watch everything your face does all day long. They get to monitor what your brain wants. They're going to just read everything, but that won't be all. You're also going to need to support the state by learning the slogans and repeating the slogans. Your experience in the metaverse, the way to get new credits will probably be some version of watching commercials all day long, just like they do with free video game content on your iPhone or those free movie channels. Like, I think that's what Fubo does. I'm not sure if I'm naming the right one, but that's how you'll continue. You'll just watch commercials that support the state or make you want to buy things that also support the state. And then you'll have to go out and show everybody how great these new things are that you saw on the commercials or how great these new ideas are that you saw on the commercials. And then at some point, you'll be like, wait a second, that's basically exactly like what we have now. Everybody who's living their existence in the false reality and engaging in the false reality this is essentially what they spend their time doing. Think about all the people who actually got wealthier during the pandemic. They were people who could work from home on their computers. They could actually exist entirely in the false reality. People would deliver them food. They were entertained. They wanted everybody else to be separate and not congregate, but they felt it was okay for them to have COVID pods so that their friends would come over and they would all agree that they're not part of any other pod. But of course, they were part of two or three other pods. And so they were basically around different people all the time in their own homes, all participating in the false reality while making sure that no one else had access to it. Well, those people made a lot of money. They were rewarded for their compliance. Businesses that went along with the COVID scam were promoted some of them were just allowed to survive, while businesses that didn't or couldn't were destroyed. Celebrities and influencers got paid to disseminate the slogans. Their lives got much better. Even micro-influencers, as we talked about last week, members of the community, they were incentivized to repeat the slogans. Their lives got much better. And now we basically, if we are fully attached to the false reality, fully engaged with it through social media platforms like Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok, we spend our day being told what to do and what to think and what to buy by influencers of all varieties. And influencers are basically just human commercials. There was just a study out that said 20% plus of young adults want to be influencers as their job. 
they're going to do exceptionally well in the false reality for as long as it exists. Figure out whether or not this is a positive thing in your life or whether yeah. or not it's overcoming and, and you're, you're overwhelmed by it. Yeah, and I think that that's something that it's going to end up being this balance and hopefully our computers and platforms will help us find the reasonable balance on that. I mean, one of the things that you keep you've said a few times is okay like i'm not sure if i'd want to do this digitally i i I think about like it's like i want to have this experience in the real world i mean here's one kind of philosophical way that i think about this is i actually think when when you say the real world uh, i call that the physical world and i I think there's the physical world and the digital world and i think the combination of those increasingly is the real world right it's you know it's uh, like there's all this additional information that we bring to the physical experiences that we have that um, whether it's, whether it's digital or, or just from our own experience or studying that we've done, that's more than just kind of the physical kind of sensation that we get. Um, But the ratio of that may be shifting over time, right? So in a world in the future where, you know, a lot of the things that might be physical today, I mean, maybe these, this kind of art and sculptures and stuff that you have here, maybe in the future, they're not physical. Maybe they're just holograms because, you know, you can, change them really easily. Um, Maybe over time, the sort of ratio of the amount of physical stuff that we interact with to digital stuff shifts and becomes more balanced or something like that. Whereas, you know, historically it was all physical and there was very little kind of information or, or, or digital overlay on top of it. And now I think it's just steadily been increasing. But I mean, it's, I think it's probably gonna be a lot healthier for us rather than consuming kind of all this additional context through this tiny little portal that we carry around on a phone and you're just kind of like looking at this and you're missing the whole context. I think to have it be able to be overlaid and, you know, have, have kind of people be able to, you know, pop in and interact with them through it. Um, I don't know, I think it's gonna be powerful. We'll, we'll obviously need to get the balance on this, right. But it's, um, but I don't know, that's sort of how I think about it. I, I, I think like probably the right way to think about what the real world is at this point is not actually just the physical world, mm. but, but the physical world, I'm, I'm probably more kind of optimistic or believe that the physical world is, probably more important to our being and essence and soul than, than probably a lot of other people in the industry. So I mean, I, I really care about, about getting that, that balance right. So he's basically arguing that the metaverse or that the augmented reality or the virtual reality, or as I call it, the false reality, is already part of real reality, the empirical, observable, concrete reality. And that's essentially the argument I've been making. I actually think it's more pervasive than what Zuckerberg is describing. And I think he knows it's more pervasive. I think he knows it's got nothing to do with the advent of the metaverse and that we were already shifting into this false reality balance well before that. He's talking about how that balance is going to continue shifting. It's only going to continue shifting one way for anyone who is so engaged with the false reality that they continue on down that path, eventually checking out completely into Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse. Now, I don't think there's going to be really anyone around to do that. I think the metaverse is a sick and stupid joke that is going to fail spectacularly. And hey, maybe I'm wrong, but I really don't think so. Because part of the awakening is understanding what this stuff is and what it's intended to be and where they see things going. 
This is part and parcel with the depopulation initiative. This is part and parcel with the global cities initiative. It's part and parcel of wanting to get people out of rural communities and move them into cities where populations are kept dense and the rest of the land can be used as the global order sees fit. They can build factory farms and industries that employ robots and human slaves in the areas they don't want to live in. They can mine them all and strip the land completely for its resources. And you will be in your box watching the metaverse and taking vaccines until you die. And these people expect you to thank them for the gift they have given you of permanent vacation and a comfortable ride. No one should discount this. The metaverse isn't some false reality where you get to be whoever you want and do whatever you want. Like it's Westworld or something. Gosh, it's shocking that Westworld exists at a time like this. And it's not some free fancy trip to Japan or to the Egyptian pyramids or sometime in the past. No matter how thrilling those adventures might sound. It's basically the ability to remove you physically from society without actually killing you. At least for now. And listen to people like Yuval Noah Harari, who talks about useless eaters. Who do you think he's talking about? And what do you think they will do with all these useless eaters that they can't kill quickly enough without people getting upset? Well, they'll send them on a permanent vacation in a 12 by 12 box in a tenement building built by the government. You will own nothing and be happy. Food will be delivered. You'll be entertained all the time. You'll get it. Whatever experiences in the metaverse you want, if you serve the state well enough. And to think this isn't already happening, even in real reality, is insane. Now, I don't want to go without mentioning this because there's some big news in the world that no one in America will be told about by the mainstream media unless it gets to the point where it is absolutely undeniable. For this story, I want to go to BioClandestine's Substack. He has put out two of his newsletters in the last two days on Wednesday and Thursday, and I want to share those. The headline on Wednesday's article is International Military Tribunals to be Held in Mariupol, Ukraine. International military tribunals are going to be held in the coming days in Mariupol. The Russian embassy in the U.S. put out a statement at 1047 this evening pertaining to the U.S. State Department's response to upcoming military tribunals in Mariupol. And he shares the statement from the Russian embassy. We have taken note of other groundless accusations against our country related to the tribunal over Ukrainian war criminals. The upcoming trial is aimed at bringing justice to war criminals, among which are Nazis from the Azov Regiment. Washington is clearly afraid of making public the evidence of the inhumane acts committed by the members of this terrorist organization. The International Tribunal in Mariupol can shed light on the true essence of the Kiev regime, of which the United States diligently creates a bright and heroic image. 
American citizens will finally learn that in reality, their government is helping those who purposefully kill and torture the Russian people of Donbass and Ukraine. Russia fully complies with the Geneva Conventions and guarantees Ukrainian captives proper conditions of detention. The same cannot be said of the Kyiv regime, which militants mistreated captured Russian soldiers. Finally, if the U.S. authorities have questions about what happened in Mariupol, they could discuss it with the administration of the Donetsk People's Republic. It is an independent state. So clandestine takes this to imply that the U.S. State Department are aware of and talking about Russian military tribunals for Nazis, and they're clear of making public the evidence of these Nazi acts in Ukraine, even though a sizable portion of the population already knows about them. But they can't tell the child brains because the child brains have had Ukraine flags outside their houses for months. Although, by the way, when I was in Los Angeles, I asked some people about that. I said, I haven't really seen too many uh, Ukraine flags. What's with that? And they were like, oh, yeah, everybody kind of gave up on those about a month ago. So another sign of their great success. It was difficult to find, but here is the statement from the U.S. State Department put out today. By planning to hold so-called tribunals in Russia-controlled Mariupol against Ukraine's brave defenders, the Kremlin is attempting to deflect responsibility for President Putin's war of aggression and distract from overwhelming evidence of the atrocities Russian forces have committed in Ukraine. The planned show trials are illegitimate and a mockery of justice, and we strongly condemn them. All members of Ukraine's armed forces, including domestic and foreign volunteers incorporated into the armed forces, are entitled to prisoner of war status if they are captured and must be afforded the treatment and protections commensurate with that status, according to the Geneva Conventions. We call on Moscow to comply with its obligations under international law. The United States will continue to firmly stand with the Ukrainian people as they defend their freedom. And so they ran through all the slogans like Putin's war of aggression. And they even had the balls to call it a show trial, to call the military tribunals that are being held, as they admit, show trials and illegitimate while they are supporting the January 6th committee. Back to clandestine. The Biden administration are already trying to delegitimize the tribunals because the Russian allegations for these war crimes go all the way up to the top to include Biden himself for the production of chemical and biological weapons, as well as arming and assisting Nazi Ukrainian forces responsible for war crimes and atrocities on civilians. The Russians have claimed that the U.S. And Ukraine are terrified of the testimony to be given by Ukrainian POWs because it will further cement and expose the crimes committed by the Kyiv and Biden DNC regimes. As usual, the Western media are completely radio silent on this subject, with the exception of Reuters, who puts out their one tiny article about it that doesn't seem to get circulated. This came out yesterday at 6 a.m. and I don't know of anyone in the community or the Western world who has mentioned it. The U this is from Reuters. The U.N. Human Rights Office expressed concern on Tuesday about plans by Russian backed authorities to try Ukrainian prisoners of war in the port city of Mariupol, possibly within days, saying such a process could itself amount to a war crime. 
The Russian-backed authorities appear to be installing metal cages in a hall in Mariupol as part of plans to establish what they were calling an international tribunal. Ravina Shamdasani, spokesperson for the Office of the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, told a briefing. So it is admitted by the U.S. State Department and by the United Nations that Russia is holding military tribunals in Mariupol. I think we can be fairly confident at this point that that is indeed happening. So then the next step becomes, well, who is giving us the right information about these tribunals? So the international military tribunals are going down in Ukraine, just like Russia said they would. They are trying literal Azov Nazis for crimes against humanity, and the Biden administration doesn't like it. Russia have been extremely transparent in their reporting on Nazi war crimes and attacks on civilians. While the liberal globalist leaders of the West continue to gloss over the fact that they are supporting literal admitted Nazi forces in Ukraine. And as you know, if you've been listening to my show for any duration of time, I have been hammering that point. Our friends and neighbors who voted for Joe Biden and are still trapped in the false reality are supporting actual Nazis in Ukraine. Of that, there is absolutely no doubt. Another point of interest is if these are to be true international military tribunals, there would need to be multiple countries involved in overseeing the tribunals and multilateral agreement amongst the contributing militaries. So who are the militaries? I assume today's Shanghai Cooperation Organization Defense Summit between all the highest ranking military officials of Eurasia had something to do with it. They did discuss U.S. war crimes and crimes against humanity today. And he wrote another piece about that that he links to. In conclusion, tribunals are happening whether the West or the U.N. Rights Office likes it or not. Russia will start with Ukrainian POWs and work their way up the chain. The reckoning has begun. I don't know when, if, or how the top players get involved, but Russia have begun their ascent. We've been waiting for military tribunals for six years now. It may not be like we pictured it, but it appears to be something is finally happening. And so let's take a look at his other article. This one is from yesterday. Zaporozhia nuclear power plant disconnected by Ukrainian shelling. Now, let's keep in mind that last week we were getting all sorts of signals and stories about how the Russians were going to attack Zaporozhia and stage this huge nuclear disaster. And the Russians were saying quite clearly, no, that's the Ukrainians planning to hit this nuclear plant and they are being backed by the West who is lying about this story. And of course, that's the case by now. The global communist media, the state propaganda media, that is just as much in effect for the evil twin faction of the United States as it is for the rest of the world. They are pushing a false story. They are intending to cause a nuclear disaster in Europe and then blame it on the Russians. And yes, it certainly does suck to be a citizen who is currently being subjected to a fake administration while that fake administration is doing something so heinous. But nonetheless, this is partially the evil twin faction of America's fault. 
Shelling from the Ukrainian armed forces on the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant results in fires, disconnecting the plant from the Ukrainian power grid multiple times, causing concerns of cooling systems failing, which would result in the core overheating and a nuclear catastrophe that will cripple Eurasia and kill tens of thousands of civilians. Russia have since restored power to the grid and the core is stable, but Russia warns that if the Ukrainian forces don't stop provoking the plant, there will be nothing Russia can do to stop the cooling systems from failing. Even NATO countries are starting to admit this reality cannot be ignored, resulting in the French Minister of Defense reaching out to the Russian Minister of Defense to discuss the ongoing situation at the Zaporozhye plant. There has been no reporting on the contents of the phone call, but it's almost certainly abnormal for the French military to be negotiating with Russia. This phone call could be a turning point for NATO countries to begin turning on Ukraine and the U.S. As the mainstream media are reporting that the crisis is being caused by shelling from Ukrainian forces, even CNN had to admit it. They say fires caused the disconnect, but have to admit in the article that Ukrainian shelling is causing a potential Chernobyl-like catastrophe. The Western media are doing their best to spin it, but it's proving ineffective. NATO countries are starting to see that Ukraine and their U.S. handlers are the ones putting the world at risk. This Zaporozhye event will add further legitimacy to the rest of the Russian allegations against the Kyiv and Biden regimes, soon to be featured in upcoming military tribunals. The world have already begun turning their back on the U.S. as the evidence in Ukraine continues to come out. Eventually, the U.S. will stand alone and all those responsible for the crimes against humanity will be held accountable. And that is some editorializing by clandestine at the end there. And I hope and believe that he is correct. And now, finally, I want to get to a piece that was published in the New York Times a week ago, last Friday, August 19th. In the opinion section, the headline is the Constitution is broken and should not be reclaimed. This is the paper of record in the United States. When liberals lose in the Supreme Court, as they increasingly have over the past half century, They usually say that the justices got the Constitution wrong, but struggling over the Constitution has proven a dead end. The real need is not to reclaim the Constitution as many would have it, but instead to reclaim America from constitutionalism. So they don't like what the Supreme Court has decided in regards to the Constitution, and they have realized that just saying the court justices got it wrong isn't enough to convince Americans to vote for them all the time or to expand the court or any of their other tactics. They've now gone on to just saying we should not have a constitution anymore. The idea of constitutionalism is that there needs to be some higher law that is more difficult to change than the rest of the legal order. Having a constitution is about setting more sacrosanct rules than the ones the legislature can pass day to day. Our constitution's guarantee of two senators to each state is an example. And ever since the American founders were forced to add a bill of rights to get their handiwork passed, national constitutions have been associated with some set of basic freedoms and values that transient majorities might otherwise trample. It's good that they've figured that 
part out. How will they propose to trample it instead? But constitutions, especially the broken one we have now, inevitably orient us to the past and misdirect the present into a dispute over what people agreed on once upon a time, not on what the present and future demand for and from those who live now. This aids the right, which insists on sticking with what it claims to be the original meaning of the past. And I've actually spent a lot of time talking about this recently. I can't remember exactly which episode, but this is the real problem with the progressive mindset, which is the liberal mindset, which is the communist mindset. They all believe that we should be making progress on everything all the time. And they have a strange idea about what progress is. They think progress is good for its own sake. Like anything you can call progress is automatically good because it has fixed or at least purports to fix a problem that we used to have before. Think about the level of airport security we currently endure. It's basically a lot like the COVID regime. There are way too many steps, most of which don't make any sense. There's no proof that this provides greater safety to anyone. And to continue the illusion that improvements are being made, they consistently add more and more invasive technology, which costs tons of money and invades people's privacy for no reason. And you can see that exact process being replicated across all aspects of society. Progress under their definition is not inherently good because their definition of progress already includes all their judgments, their value judgments about what's good. They truly believe that the gender agenda that they are enforcing represents progress. Black Lives Matter used to have as part of its principles that they were acting for the destruction of the nuclear family, and they'll call that progress too. They really believe that will create a better tomorrow for everyone. Or at least they believe it enough to think convincing other people that's true is a good thing. Except the Constitution wasn't written as what they thought would be best for everybody at that time. It was a document that created foundational principles based on the whole of human history about what worked and what was necessary to build a free society. And you don't need to argue that the Constitution is perfect in every way to understand that it is an exceptional bedrock for a society and part of why our society has done so well. The changes these people want to make to the Constitution go only in the direction of tyranny. They are movements away from the preservation of a free society. So they do not represent progress in any way unless your goal is actually tyranny. And that does happen to be their goal. They want a one world global government. There is only one way that ends up. It is global communism. It is tyranny. And they hate the Constitution because the Constitution stands in their way. 
Arming for war over the Constitution concedes in advance that the left must translate its politics into something consistent with the past. Yes, that is exactly what is demanded. You must conform to the Constitution. If you want to change the Constitution, there is a method in the Constitution that prescribes the way to change it. But they don't want to participate in that either because they can't convince enough of society that they are right. That is the problem. That is always their problem. They don't want to play by the rules because they can't convince everybody else that their breaking of the rules is actually good for everybody else. But liberals have been attempting to reclaim the Constitution for 50 years with agonizingly little to show for it. It's time for them to radically alter the basic rules of the game. Our democracy, our democracy. They're tearing down our democracy. How could conservatives want to threaten our democracy by asking questions about the legitimacy of our elections? How could they want to do that? They're tearing away at our democracy. Now, what we need to do is radically alter the rules of the game because no one wants the things we want. They just come out and say it. I'm not making that up. That's what he just said. Liberals have been attempting to reclaim the Constitution for 50 years with agonizingly little to show for it. Where is all their public support? Where is their vast, vast majority? Where is their blue wave? Where are their 81 million real legal American votes? It's time for them to radically alter the basic rules of the game. Whether we like it or not, Is that what you're suggesting? Got it. In making calls to regain ownership of our founding charter, progressives have disagreed about strategy and tactics more than about this crucial goal. Proposals to increase the number of justices, strip the Supreme Court's jurisdiction to invalidate federal law or otherwise soften the blow of judicial review frequently come together with the assurance that the problem is not the Constitution. Only the Supreme Court's hijacking of it is. And even when progressives concede that the Constitution is at the root of our situation, typically the call is for some new constitutionalism. You should be by now understanding that what they want is the ability to do whatever they want with absolute power all the time and for nothing to stand in their way, including and especially the law. Since the Supreme Court began to drift right in the 1970s, liberals have proposed better ways of reading the Constitution. The Conservative Federalist Society engaged in a successful attempt to remake constitutional law by brainstorming ideas, creating networks of potential judges, and eventually helping to guide the selection of President Donald Trump's nominees. How dare they? Don't they understand that the way to decide Supreme Court justice nominees is by race and gender? It was revealing that liberals responded by founding, in 2001, an organization called the American Constitution Society, which produced the book Keeping Faith with the Constitution. And when liberal law professors got together in the mid-2000s to dream of a different America that yielded the book The Constitution in 2020, 
But since then, with the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the consolidation of right wing control of constitutional law and the overturning of Roe and other disasters this term, the damage has only worsened our democracy. They don't want checks and balances. That's the point. One reason for these woeful outcomes is that our current constitution is inadequate, which is why it serves reactionaries so well. Starting with a text that is famously undemocratic, progressives are forced to navigate hardwired features like the Electoral College and the Senate, designed as impediments to redistributive change while drawing on much vaguer and more malleable resources like commitments to due process and equal protection, resources that a conservative Supreme Court has used over the years to invalidate things like abortion rights and child labor laws and might use in the coming term to prohibit affirmative action. Now, it's worth noting that these law professors are not arguing that any of that stuff is actually constitutional. They're only arguing that it's bad that the court decided these issues this way. Sometimes reclaiming the Constitution is presented as a much needed step toward empowering the people and their elected representatives. In a new book, the law professors Joseph Fishkin and William Forbath urged progressives to stop treating constitutional law as an autonomous domain separate from politics. In contrast with earlier efforts among liberals, which, as Jedediah Purdy put it in a 2018 Times guest essay, put forward a vivid picture of what judges should do with the power of the courts. Such exercises in progressive constitutionalism call on Congress and other non-judicial actors to claim some amount of authority to interpret the Constitution for themselves. So don't worry about what the Constitution says. We're going to create a bunch of unelected bureaucratic agencies to change the Constitution on our own. And when you think about the decisions that the court handed down at the end of their last term, particularly West Virginia versus EPA, that takes away the right of bureaucracies to change the law on their own without input from Congress. You can see why they're trying to get rid of the whole Constitution. That decision and the actions that might follow may eliminate their entire corrupt system. It may be what allows Donald Trump to fully drain the swamp in his second term. It is a breath of fresh air to witness progressives offering bold new proposals to reform courts and shift power to elected officials. Oh, elected officials, always elected officials. So long as the elections remain fraudulent, they'll have no problem with elected officials. They just don't want to do any of the constitutional things to change the government in their image because the people don't support them. And inside this inconsistency, you should understand the election fraud is present. They can't believe both of these things. But even such proposals raise the question, why justify our politics by the Constitution or by calls for some renovated constitutional tradition? It has exacted a terrible price in distortion and distraction to transform our national life into a contest over reinterpreting our founding charter consistently with what majorities believe now. But again, they're only majorities when they define what constitutes the majority. 
when they are the ones asking the questions, when they are the ones creating the polls with the answers to the questions. All of this is absolutely deranged. No matter how openly political it may purport to be, reclaiming the Constitution remains a kind of anti-politics. It requires the substitution of claims about the best reading of some centuries-old text or about promises said to be already in our traditions for direct arguments about what fairness or justice demands. So basically, they want to change everything on the basis of calling it racist. It's difficult to find a constitutional basis for abortion or labor unions in a document written by largely affluent men more than two centuries ago. It would be far better if liberal legislators could simply make a case for abortion and labor rights on their own merits without having to bother with the Constitution. And of course, they can do that. And the decision allowed them to do that. They just have to pass abortion rights laws in their own states. But they can't really do that either without election fraud, which is why they put it on the ballot in Kansas a couple weeks ago and then frauded it all the way through. By leaving democracy hostage to constraints that are harder to change than the rest of the legal order, constitutionalism of any sort demands extraordinary consensus for meaningful progress. It conditions democracy in which majority rule always must matter most on surviving vetoes from powerful minorities that invoke the constitutional past to obstruct a new future. Yes, congratulations, you figured out why it's so great. After failing to get the Constitution interpreted in an egalitarian way for so long, the way to seek real freedom will be to use procedures consistent with popular rule. It will not be easy, but a new way of fighting within American democracy must start with a more open politics of altering our fundamental law, perhaps in the first place by making the Constitution more amendable than it is now. Go ahead. Go ahead. Get a constitutional amendment passed to do that and then go ahead and do it. The Constitution literally allows for that so that it would remain relevant far into the future. That's why it's amendable in the first place. In a second stage, though, Americans could learn simply to do politics through ordinary statute rather than staging constant wars over who controls the heavy weaponry of constitutional law from the past. If legislatures just passed rules and protected values majorities believe in, the distinction between higher law and everyday politics effectively disappears. That's right. They want to change the constitutional republic into a direct democracy. And in that direct democracy, they will have rules about who's allowed to participate and regardless of those rules, they will have a system of election fraud that dictates all the results. Direct democracy has been abandoned as stupid and unworkable for 5,000 years. The ancient Greeks knew it was a bad idea. One way to get to this more democratic world is to pack the union with new states. 
Doing so would allow Americans to then use the formal amendment process to alter the basic rules of the politics and break the false deadlock that the Constitution imposes through the Electoral College and Senate on the country, in which substantial majorities are foiled on issue after issue. Except that's not the case. They only seem like substantial majorities because of fake polls and because of election fraud. But we can even leave that aside. They want to create more states so that when you need 75% of the states to amend the Constitution, well, if you just create 50 more states and all the new states agree with you, it becomes a whole lot easier. Although, honestly, we have more than half the states right now. So they haven't even figured out how to limit Republicans to only 25, which is what they'd need to do. Even if there were a hundred states, they can't even do it with 50. They want to just create 50 extra Democrat states and then maybe they'll get it. These people are children who cry that they can't get their own way and want to change the rules of the game because they can't win. These are law professors at Harvard and Yale, and they're literally projecting a total disrespect for American law, which goes a long way to explaining how those courts dismissed Trump's election fraud cases on procedural grounds. More aggressively, Congress could simply pass a Congress act reorganizing our legislature in ways that are more fairly representative of where people actually live and vote, and perhaps even reducing the Senate to a mere council of revision, a term Jamel Bowie used to describe the Canadian Senate without the power to obstruct laws. Oh, so some woke moron described another country's Senate that way, and that means that that's a good idea for what we should do in the United States? Good call, commies. In doing so, Congress would be pretty openly defying the Constitution to get to a more democratic order, and for that reason would need to insulate the law from judicial review. Fundamental values like racial equality or environmental justice would be protected not by law that stands apart from politics, but, as they typically are, by ordinary expressions of popular will. And the basic structure of government, like whether to elect the president by majority vote or to limit judges to fixed terms, would be decided by the present electorate as opposed to one from some foggy past. It is amazing how much these people love tyranny and how unabashedly supportive they are of tyranny so long as they can say that the majority of people agree with them. And because of that, they're upholding, quote unquote, democratic principles. But since that alone doesn't work, they still need election fraud and they depend on that election fraud for all of this argument about the majorities. A politics of the American future like this would make clear our ability to engage in the constant reinvention of our society under our own power, without the illusion that the past stands in the way. Oh, what a utopia these communists will bring. But of course, it's not just communism, and we've talked about this countless times. The collectivist ideologies always lead to the same thing, 
That is what they're there for. They divide groups. They create power. They take power from the groups that they describe as oppressors. Doesn't matter what those groups actually do. So long as you can call them oppressors, that's it. They do this in coordination with big business and corporations, the means of production. That's called fascism. They're not even ashamed about calling it socialism anymore. And they are supporting actual Nazis in Ukraine. These collectivist ideologies are all one and the same. And they're all really just a new form of feudalism. The whole world under one common control. And the citizens of the world, all subjects within it. Everything else is just how they market it to the people so the people think it's all okay and that they have some say in the process. They've got some real skin in the game. And none other than Mark Zuckerberg revealed this new form of fascism this morning on CBS. Over the last few years, we've put a lot of effort into building partnerships with the intelligence community and election commissions around the world, as well as the other tech companies. So part of the normal security apparatus now is that we share intelligence and tips with each other. So one of the world's most powerful and wealthy corporations, the one that has all of the data about all of the activity of billions of the world's citizens, and they decide what you read and what you can't read. They have the power in their AI to influence your mood throughout the day, to keep you locked into your phone screens, to create an entirely false reality for you that they admit they're creating and try to advertise to you as good. They work with the intelligence agencies and with the government. And Zuckerberg is saying this to shift blame. But what he's describing is still fascism. And it's happening under an illegitimate administration who only exists because of election fraud. In any other scenario, we would know all of this for exactly what it is, but instead, we are still subject to the false reality. And within the false reality, Joe Biden was telling the truth yesterday to a DNC reception when he said, what we're seeing now is either the beginning or the death knell of an extreme MAGA philosophy. It's not just Trump. It's the entire philosophy that underpins the I'm going to say something. It's like semi fascism. So it's actually the fake president and his administration and all of the biggest and most powerful corporations and people and institutions across the world, the big tech, the medical industry, education, corporations, our media and entertainment industries, the universities, the banks, all of it, all of it. They're not the fascists even as they describe their organizations specifically by the definitions of fascism. No, it's MAGA supporters. It's Trump supporters, people who want to have a sovereign nation and people who believe that the citizens of any sovereign nation should hold their nation's interests above the interests of other nations. 
Those are the real fascists. But Joe Biden doesn't even have the balls to say it. So he says semi-fascists like they're fascists, but not that bad. You know, they're the kinds of fascists we can work with. He understands it might be taken as extreme for an illegitimate president who is oppressing people and destroying society to accuse the other side of being fascists. So he doesn't go that far. It's just semi-fascists. Well, hey, Joe, I would more than welcome a conversation about what you think is happening on the MAGA side of things that bears any resemblance to fascism whatsoever. And let's start with the fact that we don't ascribe to collectivist ideologies. But regardless, I would love to let him name some things. Now, on the other hand, let's talk about things that might be considered fascist that the other side is doing. You know, from maybe, let's say, a historical perspective, even though I know we're supposed to forget the past. Well, in the last few years, they've had a propaganda campaign, a censorship regime. They have had biomedical experimentation. They have forced segregation, forced people to remain in their homes. They have closed churches. They support eugenics policies, including with the abortion regime. They are on a quest for global domination by their one global order. They have a transhuman agenda that ends with them becoming a higher form of humanity once they merge with the machines. And their support for actual Nazis in Ukraine is only the latest example of things they have in common with actual historical fascists and Nazis. But Joe Biden doesn't care because Joe Biden has no idea what he's saying, but he does know who his audience is. And those people in the false reality will believe anything. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!